Welcome to the podcast of Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more information about our church and for more messages, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at one verse this morning. At the beginning of the new year, I like to preach on a topic that I believe will be particularly helpful for our church. At a time when many people are making New Year's resolutions and commitments, I want to use this as an opportunity to reorient our perspective to one that is biblical to commit ourselves to pursuing something that the Bible sets forth as something that we should be pursuing together. And today, I want to turn our attention to the topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential to any healthy relationship, whether we're talking about our families or our friendships or our church. And yet, forgiveness is rarely understood today. And where it is understood, it is rarely practiced. Forgiveness should really be learned in two places. It should be learned in the home, and it should be learned in the church. The problem is that most of us did not grow up in churches or homes that talked about forgiveness or modeled forgiveness. We didn't receive forgiveness. We didn't offer forgiveness. It may have been talked about as something that is important and perhaps worthwhile, but it was never applied. The result is that many of us never figured out how to actually resolve conflict in a healthy, biblical way. When someone hurts us, we storm off and we try to let time cover the wound, or perhaps we shout louder to try to win the argument. And more often than not, we simply cut the people out of our lives who hurt us. But the Bible gives us a better way to resolve our conflicts. It is a distinctly Christian way of resolving conflict, and it begins with forgiveness. And we are living right now as a society through a very unique season of conflict. People are losing the skill of disagreeing in an agreeable way. They don't know how to love those who differ from them. People are angry with one another. Perhaps people are angry with you. Perhaps this morning you are angry with someone in your life. And the question is, how will you respond? Will you let resentment fester and grow in your heart? Or will you be able to experience the healing of forgiveness? We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. As our main text, we'll be looking elsewhere as well, but we will be focused here on Ephesians 4, verse 32. So let me read that for us. This is the word of the Lord. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The title of this sermon is Learning to Forgive. 
learning to forgive. And since it's the new year, we won't be having three points. We'll be having five points. But I promise you that this will not be a longer sermon. It's actually going to be a little shorter, at least if I preach it the way I've planned. But we'll be working our way through five principles about forgiveness. First, forgiveness is needed. Second, forgiveness is commanded. Third, forgiveness is from the heart. Fourth, forgiveness is free from anger. And fifth, forgiveness is gospel-centered. Let's look at our first point today. Forgiveness is needed. Now, this is an obvious but easily missed observation. We need to remember that the Apostle Paul here is not talking to the world in general. He is talking to a specific church. He is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, addressing fellow Christians who have been justified by faith and who are being sanctified by the Spirit. These are new creations he's writing to, people who have been born again. They they are made new through their faith in Christ. The Spirit is writing the law of God on their hearts, and they are radically committed to living in a new community that is characterized by love. And yet, Paul finds it necessary to tell them to forgive one another, to forgive one another. Why does Paul tell them to forgive one another? Well, it's because he knows that they're going to hurt one another. That's the only reason why forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is only necessary when people offend one another, hurt one another, and wrong one another. So by telling them to forgive one another in this church, he's assuming that conflict is going to be present in the church and in Christian families among fellow believers. This is an obvious but crucial point. What distinguishes Christians from the world isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of forgiveness. Christians are going to sin against one another. They're going to sin against one another in their families. And they're going to sin against one another in the church. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are going to disappoint you. They're going to offend you. They're going to hurt you, just like the rest of the world. And that happened in the early church. And that certainly happens today. But the difference between the church and the world is that we are a people who are radically committed to forgiveness. Some people come into the church with what you could call unrealistic expectations. They come in saying, well, these are Christians. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They're never going to hurt me. I'm never going to be disappointed here. But then someone lets them down. Or someone says something that offends them. Or someone takes a position that they think is completely unreasonable and they think, hey, this isn't what the church is meant to be. I'm out of here. And they they either distance themselves from the church or they leave the church altogether. What they've done is that they fail to remember that the church is still full of sinners. We are still sinners in need of transformation. We are no longer what we used to be, but we are not yet what we are meant to be. Paul knew this, which is why he gave us verse 32. We are to forgive one another. Point number two, forgiveness is commanded. Forgiveness is commanded. This point relates to how we tend to read the Bible. Many of us probably imagine Paul writing verse 32, almost like a a kind, wizened old grandfather 
who's giving his beloved church some good advice. He's saying, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, my dear church, if you want healthy relationships, if you want to be able to last long in your friendships with those around you, then forgive one another. It would be a good idea if you learn how to do that. But that is not the right tone here. Paul is not writing as a doting grandfather. He is writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Good advice is just that. It is a recommendation that you can follow or not. It's like a buffet where you pick and choose what works for you. Well, I, I like that advice, so I'm going to follow it. Or I don't like that advice, so I'm not going to follow it. It's a buffet. You might choose forgiveness, but maybe I won't choose forgiveness. Maybe forgiveness doesn't work for me. Maybe I really want to insist on justice. Verse 32 doesn't work like that. Paul's not saying that some can choose to forgive and others can't choose to forgive. He's not saying that some people are all about grace and mercy and other people are all about truth and justice. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord is bound by this command. Paul is issuing this as a command because forgiveness is not only needed in the church, it is commanded in the church. This is a command that binds all who love the king who made the commands. Paul is not just giving us a window into how God wants us to live our lives. He is giving us a window into how God requires us to live our lives. And if we truly love God, worship God, obey God, then we will obey this command and forgive I mean, Jesus made this absolutely clear in the parable that we read earlier in the service from Matthew chapter 18. We call it the parable of the unforgiving servant. The one servant owes the king an incalculable debt. In the metrics of the day, it was called 10,000 talents. And really, that servant could not have repaid that debt if he lived a thousand lifetimes. But out of compassion for his servant, the king forgives him and he releases him from the debt. But then that same servant approaches another fellow servant who owes him really the equivalent of a few thousand dollars. It's not a small sum, but it's something that was doable. It was something that this fellow servant could have repaid if given enough time. And yet the first servant refuses to show him the pity that he received and throws this fellow servant into prison. Now, the question is, did that servant have the right to do that? Well, from the perspective of justice, yes, he did. All he was doing was insisting that he receive what he deserved. Wasn't trying to exact interest, wasn't trying to take advantage of this fellow servant. From the perspective of justice, he was not in the wrong. But the forgiveness that he had received from the king changed everything. It changed everything. If he had received such such extravagant mercy, he was expected to show mercy to those who owed him. Let me read a few verses from that parable. Jesus ends the parable this way in verses 32 to 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a heavy lesson. That is a sobering word. It it not only tells us that forgiveness is a command, but it tells us what happens to those who fail to obey this command. God fully expects forgiven sinners to forgive those who sin against them. You may be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer talks about forgiveness, but what's easy to miss in the Lord's Prayer is the middle portion. We pray, forgive us our trespasses. That is a request. And then it's, Jesus teaches us to pray as we forgive those who trespass against us. We ask God to forgive us, but we don't ask God to help us to forgive those who sin against us. We, we tell God that we will. We will forgive. That is not a request. It is simply a statement telling God that as he has forgiven us, we will indeed forgive others. If you're a Christian, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, then forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is a command. Lesson number three. Forgiveness is from the heart. Notice in Ephesians 4, verse 32, that there are three commands. The first one is be kind to one another. The second command is be tender-hearted, and the third command is to forgive one another. Each of these commands is distinct, and yet they are related to one another. That's why he includes them in this list of commands together in verse 32. Being kind isn't the the same as forgiving someone, and yet forgiving someone is an expression of kindness. Kindness. Likewise, being tender-hearted isn't the same as forgiving someone, but it's only a tender-hearted person who forgives. The word for tender-hearted can also be translated as compassionate. Be compassionate. The word in the Greek literally means to have healthy intestines because your bowels, your intestines, were seen as the seat of emotions. When you're moved with pity and compassion for someone, you feel it in your gut. To be tender-hearted is to feel compassion for someone in a way that is visceral and tangible, in a way that you experience. And Paul is saying that that is what it takes to forgive someone. It takes a tender heart, a heart that is inclined to compassion. Jesus actually mentioned something similar in the parable of the unforgiving servant when he said that when the king listened to the pleading of, his, of that first servant who owed him 10,000 talents, he had pity on him. And then when that first servant refuses to forgive his fellow servant, the king says, should you not have had pity on him? Jesus ends the parable with this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. Forgiveness must come from a tender heart. It must come from a heart of compassion. 
that feels mercy and pity for the one who has wronged you. Because, listen, only compassion has the power to free us from our demand for justice. Only compassion has the power to enable us to free people from the debts that they owe us. Without compassion, what we want is not mercy. We want justice. We want people to get what they deserve. We want people to pay up, if not a financial debt, an emotional debt. You hurt me, so I want you to hurt in return. Well, you you did this that caused me to lose my trust in you. Now, I want you to feel what it's like for 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 you to lose my trust. Justice demands payment, but a tender heart releases the payment, not because the person deserves it, but because you have compassion on them. If we are to forgive one another, we must forgive from the heart. We must forgive from a place of compassion. Lesson number four, forgiveness is free from anger. Forgiveness is free from anger. This is related to the previous point about forgiveness coming from the heart. Forgiveness is only possible when it comes to it from a tender heart, which means that it's only possible if it comes from a heart that is free from anger. Now to see this point, we need to look at the context of Ephesians chapter four. If you look at the context, earlier in chapter four, what Paul is talking about is he's talking about the Christian life as being a series of putting off the old self of sin and putting on the new self in Christ. That that is a description of sanctification, the the gradual process of a Christian gradually becoming more like Jesus. We put off the old self and we put on the new self. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then verse 24, he says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And what follows throughout the rest of the chapter is a number of examples of what we are to put off and what we are to put on. The first example is in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, That's the putting off. We put off falsehood, telling lies, speaking what is false, and we put on speaking the truth. Let each one of you speak the truth. You see, there's a negative and there's a positive, a putting off and a putting on. Stop speaking falsehood. Start speaking the truth. Verse 28 has another example. Let the thief no longer steal. That's the putting off. Don't steal anymore. Don't rob people of what rightly, rightfully belongs to them. But rather, now put on, what do we put on? Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see? We, we put off theft, stealing, lying about what belongs to us and what properly belongs to others, and we work with our hands. We do honest work, and we share with those who are in need. Verse 29 is another example. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's the putting off. But only such as is good for building up. That's the putting on. We stop speaking what corrupts and we start speaking what builds, what causes health, not corruption. Now this leads us to verse 31. Listen to this long list of things that we are to put off. Let all bitterness and wrath 
and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That is the putting off. Now, what is the putting on? Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is such an important lesson here because it teaches us that anger is incompatible with forgiveness, just as lying is incompatible with speaking the truth, or stealing is incompatible with honest labor, or corrupting talk is incompatible with words that build up. They just can't go together. In order to put on one, you have to put off the other. If we are to put on forgiveness, we have to put off anger. Now it's time to do a little bit of heart surgery and diagnose why it is we find forgiveness difficult, if not impossible. If you find forgiveness difficult, if today you are wrestling with forgiving that person who has wronged you or offended you, you have to trace it back to the root. And what is the root? It is anger. It's anger. Anger is incompatible with a tender heart. And anger is incompatible with forgiveness. That doesn't mean that you're the kind of person who's always yelling and punching out walls. There are many forms of anger, and some of them are described in verse 31. They're loud. They can be loud, like clamor and slander, where you're actually speaking things that you know are false about someone in public to slander their name. Or you're making a clamor. It's, a, it's loud, and it's angry, and it's, it's an outburst. But there are quieter versions of anger as well, like bitterness and malice that lurks under the surface. Anger can burn fiery hot, or it can burn icy cold. It can be loud and aggressive, or it can be quiet and passive. But at the root, it's all the same. And it has the same fruit Whatever anger looks like for you, it manifests itself in an unwillingness to let go of past offenses and a reluctance to forgive those who have wronged you. My friends, if we are to put on forgiveness, we must put off anger. But how do you do that? I mean, the question you probably have is, yeah, I I don't want resentment and bitterness and anger to characterize my life. But... I don't feel like I have power over this. This is an emotional response, not a rational response. How can you call me to forgive when everything in my heart screams that I do not want to do that? Well, this leads to our final point and the most important point of this sermon and of this verse. The key to forgiveness is once again found in verse 32. Be kind to one another Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. Paul is pointing us to the gospel, the good news of the forgiveness that God offers to sinners, not just as a model for how we are to forgive but as the power that drives our forgiveness. This is the engine that he is giving us. 
the fuel for the fire. The only way we can obey the command to forgive, the only way that we can have tender hearts and hearts of compassion even towards those who wrong us, the only way that we can put off the anger that we feel towards those who have hurt us and put on forgiveness is to consider how God has forgiven us in Christ. This is the only way. This is the only way that we can learn to forgive others and be a forgiving people. So, how has God forgiven us in Christ? According to the parable of the unforgiving servant, he forgave us of an infinite debt incurred by our sin that we had no ability to pay. An infinite debt incurred by our sin that we had no ability to pay. In fact, we had no desire to pay it. I mean, Josh Mejia was quoting Romans 5 earlier in the service where this is how we know the love of God. Not that Christ died for those who are good or righteous, but those who were weak, who were sinners, and who were enemies of God. That is the state we were in. We had no desire to actually repay the debt. That first servant, when he's pleading with the king, that's just lip service. He had no actual intention to pay it. Maybe because he knew it was impossible for him to pay it. Maybe because he just presumed on the king's mercy. But we have no ability to pay it and we have no desire to pay it. We had nothing when he required everything and yet he forgave it all. He forgave it all. Not because we deserved it, but because of his compassion. God's forgiveness is rooted not in human ability and merit, but in the very heart of God. God had compassion on those who had no ability to pay for their sins. And it was that compassion that stayed his hand from justice, from giving us what we deserve so that we would receive the hand of mercy instead. It was his compassion that replaced the burning wrath of God, of a just God against our sin, which he indeed had. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that God is a God of wrath, just wrath against sinners for how we have abandoned God and worship created things rather than the creator. God is a God of wrath. But it was his compassion that replaced that wrath with love and acceptance and forgiveness. Listen, it was his compassion that compelled him to send his only begotten, only beloved son to die in our place as our substitute on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Listen, this is where God's forgiveness of us differs from our forgiveness of others. When we forgive others, it does cost us something. Yes, it costs us justice. It costs us the satisfaction of getting back at other people. But it would never cost us our son. I mean, who would do that? Who would give up their very own beloved son in order to forgive their enemies who have no desire to repay the debts that they owe? And yet that is exactly what God has done for us in Christ. 
if that is the price that God was willing to pay to forgive us, then how can we be unwilling to forgive the debts that other people owe us? How can we hold the debts of others against them when God has canceled the debt that we owed him? If we truly grasp this, the the, the depths of our debt and the heights of God's love, then we will be willing and able to forgive anyone of anything. Forgive anyone of anything. Now, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be fine between us and everyone, because forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is the first step in reconciliation, but in order for two parties in conflict to actually reconcile, there can't just be forgiveness, there has to be repentance. There has to be a turning away of what caused the wrong. The one who committed the wrong needs to acknowledge the wrong, apologize for the wrong, and turn away from the wrong in order for there to be reconciliation. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes the offended party can do everything right, but without the other party's repentance, there can be no reconciliation. But the offended party can still forgive. Because forgiveness doesn't depend on repentance. I mean, there is a powerful example of that in the news just this past week. Many of you have heard of those 17 missionaries who were kidnapped in Haiti. They were there to distribute water and medical supplies in the name of Christ to this poor, war-ravaged country. And they were kidnapped, including two children. And they were held in custody for over a month. And the gang that kidnapped them demanded a million dollars ransom for each one. And a couple weeks ago, they staged a daring escape. And they got out. It's a story straight from the book of Acts. They evaded the guards, walked through the night for 16 kilometers or so until they found someone who was willing to call the police for them. And they were rescued and they're safely back home. 16 of them are Americans and one was Canadian. One is Canadian. And he was interviewed by the Toronto Star about this ordeal and about his response to it. I encourage you to read it if you find it. And what he says at the end of the interview is, I have already forgiven my captors. I forgive them. They are not reconciled, obviously. Those kidnappers are not repentant. But that did not stop this brother in Christ from forgiving his enemies, forgiving those who robbed him of a month of his life, who assaulted him, who pointed guns at him, who kidnapped him. He, he forgave them just as Christ has forgiven us. Think about Jesus on the cross. Jesus looking at those who mocked him, scorned him, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had a heart of forgiveness even towards those who hated him. 
towards those who refuse to repent. And if we follow him, worship him, obey him, then we will commit ourselves to doing the same. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. All right, I've laid out these five principles about forgiveness. It's needed, it's commanded, it needs to come from the heart. It's incompatible with anger. It's centered on the gospel. We, we know everything that we need to know in order to forgive those who wrong us, and yet it is not easy. Perhaps even right now, your, your will is resistant. You say, preacher, you can say all you want. I am never forgiving that person. Forgiveness is almost never easy, and sometimes it feels impossible. But if your sins have been forgiven, if your debts have been paid, then it is possible. Listen, it is possible for you to forgive anyone for anything because no one's debt to us can compare to the debt that God has forgiven us in Christ. At the heart of hearts, inside your soul, what you really want is to be a forgiving person, to release people from the debts that they owe you. No one wants to be an unforgiving, angry person. That is... From a, even from a pragmatic point of view, that's just not a good way to live. Unforgiveness often weighs down the person who is unwilling to forgive more than the person who is not receiving forgiveness. To learn to forgive is to walk in freedom of no longer holding people's debts against them because you know that God no longer, longer holds your debts against you. And so this morning, if you have never tasted God's forgiveness before, then the message for you today is simple. Come. Come to Jesus. Believe that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and know that his death now leads to your life. If you do, you'll not only have new relationships with other people, where you know how to forgive and you want to forgive and you have the power to forgive, but you'll have a new relationship with God himself, a God who forgives and who has forgiven you through faith in Christ. God will forgive you so that you will have the joy of forgiving others. And for those who have already received this forgiveness, you know what I'm talking about. You know about the infinite debt that was canceled on the cross, you say with the hymn writer, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. If that is you, then let us remember this year and in the years to come to commit ourselves to being a people who are radically committed to forgiveness. Let this be a year. Let this start in this new year when we truly learn how to forgive others. And here are three practical ways that we can do this quickly. First, let's make sure we use the language of forgiveness on a regular basis. Use the language of forgiveness on a regular basis. If you've wronged someone, learn how to ask for forgiveness. And if you have been wronged against, learn how to offer forgiveness. I mean, 
all of us sin against other people. And usually, the most radical step we take when we have wronged them is we say, we're sorry. That's hard. It's hard to say you're sorry. And yet, the Bible challenges us to go a step further. To not just say, I'm sorry, but then to to say, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And when you've been wronged, someone says sorry, don't just say, like I often am tempted to say, oh, that's okay. That's not a big deal. Let's just forget about it. Let's just move on. Say, yes, of course. I forgive you. Use the language of forgiveness. I mean, words matter. Does it matter for us to say I love you to one another rather than I like spending time with you? I like watching shows with you. It's not the same as saying I love you. In the same way, we say I forgive you. Second, move towards those you're in conflict with by either asking for forgiveness or offering forgiveness. This is hard. Okay, because when we're in conflict with someone, when we think about them and what rises in our hearts is resentment and bitterness, the only reason why we move towards them is to demand forgiveness. But Jesus gives us a different way, not to demand forgiveness, but to offer forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. Too often relationships drift apart over weeks, months, even years Because neither person is willing to move towards the other. Neither person is willing to humble themselves by taking responsibility for their part of the offense and forgiving the other person for their part of the offense. But the Christian is always ready to ask for forgiveness and to offer their forgiveness. When they know they've wronged someone, they move towards that person and say, I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And this is the more challenging part. When they know they've been wronged by someone, the Christian also moves towards them and says, yes, you hurt me when you did that, but I forgive you and I love you. Totally independent of their repentance. The forgiveness is offered as a free gift. And so I encourage you to move towards those whom you have wronged or whom you have been wronged by and to ask for forgiveness, offer forgiveness, or both. Lastly, give thanks daily for God's forgiveness of you. Give thanks daily for God's forgiveness of you. We talk often here at Sovereign Grace about never losing the awe of your own conversion, that you who are dead are now spiritually alive. Over Christmas, we talked about never losing the awe of your own adoption, that you who are an enemy of God have now become a child of God. And today, we are reminded to never lose the awe of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. But to remember that we had an infinite debt that we could never repay that has been completely and irrevocably forgiven in Christ. That is the only way that we will have the strength to forgive those who have wronged us. It's the only thing that is going to give you compassion for those who have wronged you. The more you know of God's compassion 
for you, displayed on the cross in the forgiveness of your sins, the more you will have compassion, including on those who have wronged you. And once we have compassion on them, the forgiveness will quickly follow. Let's pray. Father, what we have seen this morning is a high standard that we have all failed to meet. You call us so clearly in the Bible to forgive one another, and yet we do not obey. We ask, Father, that we would be reminded today and in the days to come of the forgiveness that you have freely offered to us in Christ. And that slowly but surely our hearts would go from being hardened with resentment to being soft with compassion. And that forgiveness would flow faithfully and radically from our hearts to those around us. That we as Christians, as members of the household of God would be characterized by a radical forgiveness in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our relationships with all people, that the world may truly know that forgiveness is offered freely by God himself through Christ our Savior. We pray in his name, amen.